Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The most important component of starting any new endeavor is your mindset and understanding that consistency, perseverance, tenacity, all these little disciplines, these micro disciplines, these micro components, having the right mental game in the next chapter of your life is what really matters. It's that consistent, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the consistent effort that you put forth. Welcome to the True Fiction Project a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome to The True Fiction Project. I'm your host, Renita Hora. And I have with me today, Barbara Majeski. She is a lifestyle expert, a mom of three, and uh, three teenagers or some teenagers, which uh, probably means that she truly is an expert at life. So (laughs) Barbara, welcome to the show. Great to talk with you. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And I want to ask right off the bat, you call yourself the curator of the good life. So what is the good life? How do you define it? Because I would love to have that curated for me. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, I, I say it's living life with purpose, style and adventure because to live a good life, the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. So I start there because whenever I found myself in the fetal position, can't get out of my own way, can't see the forest through the trees. I always go back to my why, like why, why, why? And I'm highly aligned with giving a voice to the most vulnerable members of society. So I can talk about that a little bit later, Um, but I'm very aligned with purpose, style, is all about living comfortably in your own skin. It's not, it's not about the clothes that you wear or the shoes that you have. It is so much about understanding that being comfortable in your own skin is accepting yourself and navigating this universe at your highest expression of who that, that, that is and what that means to you. And adventure is all about living outside your comfort zone, taking risks and uh, taking charge of your own uh, destiny. So that's what I mean by the curator of the good life, living life with purpose, style and adventure. Well, that pretty much sounds exactly like what the doctor ordered, or even if the doctor didn't (laughs) order it, what what I'm ordering. Let me ask you this, Barbara, do you think that we, whoever we are, most of us, many of us, some of us, 
live life without purpose? Well, I can say that I, I garnered the most clarity with my purpose when I was going through my cancer treatments in 2016 and uh, mm. 2015 um, at, on the heels of my marriage imploding in a blaze of glory dumpster fire. Um, mm. I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. I was 42 years old. My kids were 12, 10, and my daughter was four. So I had two boys and I have two boys and a girl. And um, I had to have surgery and six months of chemo, 12 rounds of chemo. And I was bumping up against my ninth round when I really took stock of my situation because it wasn't so much the cancer that was a threat to me at that point. It was actually the chemo. And I was Mm. bumping up against another infusion. And if you know anybody who's been through chemo treatments, you go get your treatment, you are a hot mess afterwards, but then you build back up and you get your next one. So by the time you get to your next one, you're a little hardier. But as the infusions wane on, your rebound is not as, in, <laughs> just isn't there anymore. So I was bumping mm-hmm. up against another infusion and I was like, oh no, I'm like, it's not the chem- cancer it's going to take me, it's the chemo. And I took stock of like, if this is where my story ends how am I, how am I going to be remembered? And what are they, what are they going to say about me? And how will my kids hear about me? And I was proud of so many things in my life. And I hope they'd remember that. I hope they knew that I put myself through college, that it was a real like grinder, roll up my sleeves and figure it out. I hope they remembered. I had started a business in my twenties and scaled sales teams across the United States. And I got a humanitarian award and all these like you know, inflection points that I wanted my kids to mm-hmm. rem- to know me for, that it was in this moment that I was like, wow, everything I had ever started that I was ultimately proud of, I actually wanted to quit. I wanted to quit putting myself through college and I wanted to stop, you know, I wanted to quit this stupid, I, at the time I was like, this is a stupid sales idea. I was crazy for starting it. Or even this humanitarian work, it was so hard to garner people's you know, attention and their commitments. I was like, why am I everything, everything. I was a quitter, but I never quit because I thought if I quit, I'll never be able to take care of my brother with special needs. And I have a brother who really, you know, can't take care of himself. And to make a long story short, it was in that moment that I realized that had I not had him, I would have quit everything that I started and while in the past I always regarded it was always me taking care of Stephen, I've got to take care of Stephen. It was in that moment that I understood it was never really me taking care of him as much as it was mm-hmm. Stephen who was taking care of me. See, Stephen gave me rise to the greatest gift that we are all given, and that's the gift of purpose. To use some of uh, our experiences, our trials, our adversities in service of others, to help others overcome challenges and adversity. And I made it out of the universe. I'm like, all right, get me out of this cancer. I got it. I got it. I was like, I got it. Okay, message received. (laughs) And I was like, if you just get me out of this cancer, I'll go big. Yeah. Right. So much to talk about. I have so many questions. So Barbara, you sound like anything but a quitter, regardless of what you've just said. And I I was a wannabe quitter. Let's 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 relabel it. I want to be a quitter, okay. but my okay. my purpose won't let me quit. Jack smack. I got to I got to figure it out. <laughs> Absolutely. And it sounds like, I mean, you know, under this umbrella of the larger purpose, you had a lot of different sub purposes, if you will, you putting yourself through college, starting a business and scaling it a sales business at that and uh, humanitarian awards. 
all of that, I mean, those sound like major achievements in and of themselves. So tell us about Stephen and how Stephen gave you purpose in life rather than the other way around. Well, so I'm a twin. I have a twin brother. His name's Ben. And then I have younger twin brothers, Michael and Stephen. So actually twins run in our family. My mother is a triplet. Hmm. And what also runs in our family is a condition known as fragile X, which is a lot like down syndrome. And it's, you're, you're, it's inherited. It's a genetically inherited form of neurological impairment. And when I was younger, I can remember just, I was always his voice to the world. He struggled to speak and, you know, he couldn't always articulate what he wanted. And I had a knack for interpreting his sounds, his gestures, his body language, his behaviors to interpret what he needed. And when um, I was in middle school, I, we had, we, all the kids kind of got separated because my parents had to be they had to move in with relatives because they had fallen on hard times. So my father had to move in with his brother in California and my mother had to move in with her cousin in East Windsor, New Jersey. So all four of us kids couldn't move into one side or the other. So we all had to be re, you know, relocated in different forms or fashion. Yes. And I was never separated from Steven uh, for, for whatever reason, we just were a package deal. I always took mm-hmm. care of him. I felt like I was his advocate or I don't know what I thought. I was very young. I was in eighth, seventh, eighth grade. And right as I was ready to start high school, um, we were at LAX airport and I'm about ready to start high school back in Princeton, New Jersey. And we're, um, we're flying back from LA. It's Steven and I, and he has a tantrum and he doesn't want to leave California. He wants to stay with my father. And I was beside myself. I was like, well, I didn't, I couldn't imagine not being, you know, with Steven. I was like, I don't, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And he's having this meltdown at the airport and it's a big, the total crime scene. And in the movie, if they ever make a movie of my life, this is one of the inflection points that will be very dramatic, lots of music and great acting that it was really pretty (laughs) dramatic at the time because he wouldn't get off the floor. And there, the the flight attendant comes over to us and she's like, if you don't get on this plane, we're leaving without you. And I got on the floor in a Hail Mary pass. And I'm like, I can't leave without you, Stephen. I can't leave you. My father was like, I'll take care of him. He's, you know, leaving with me. I'm the father. And I'm like, well, I'm the sister. And it's this whole scene that at the end of, when it was all said and done, at the end of the day, I got on the floor and I said, Stephen, I just can't get on that plane without you. I need you to come with me. And by the Mm -hmm. grace of God, he gets up, follows me on the plane and Although I'm 14 years old, I made a vow that I would always take care of him. I would figure out this mm. world of how I could make wealth and be, be, you know, pro, you know, make wealth. I was like, I'm just going to be so damn rich. You'll never have to worry about anything. And, you know, when you're 14, those are the words that you use. You don't use wealth. You don't use generational wealth. You don't <laughs> you just say, like, I'm going to be I'm going to be rich. It's like and I know it sounds so it's childish, but I was a child. And I, that's what I said. And those are, that is my language that I refer to as a 14 year old going, I'm going to be so rich. You will never have to worry about anything. You'll never be institutionalized. I will always take care of you. And that vow has carried me through adversity and being a wannabe quitter. I never could quit. I always had to figure it out because I promised my brother that I would figure it out. And where you're meeting me today is definitely <laughs> I kind of figured right. out a few things. So, you know, I'm also not 14 it, anymore. So 
certainly sounds like you figured out a, more than a few things. So fast forward multiple years in 2015, you are faced with a divorce, you've got three kids, and then mm -hmm. you are diagnosed with stage three cancer. And is it this idea of Stephen and the purpose that he gave you in life that sort of willed you to continue on to wade through all of that mess? You know, I do think this, you know, I had three kids that I wasn't about ready to leave, you know, and I had a life that I still had left so much on the table because I do remember reflecting on all the things that I was proud of, but also the things that I'd never even bothered to embark on. Like, you know, I always wanted to be in television and I just never, I had such negative self-talk and I carried the weight of other people's opinions. And I had fear and self-doubt that even though I really pined to be on TV and I wanted to be on the Today Show, I never had the courage to take even one little step towards that. And in that reflection, because when you're confronted with your own mortality, it is a blessing and a curse. And it can be you know, more of a blessing if you take it into account what you can do with your life when you don't take it for granted, when you realize we all have a limited amount of time here on this earth. And when you are confronted with that understanding, you, you know, you kind of make little secret vows yourself and, and you recognize all the things that you waste energy mm -hmm. and precious time on. Mm -hmm. I wasted time on caring what other people thought. I put so much weight on, on what other people would say and think about me. And it's so much, it was all negative self-talk. And I, just thinking about all the things I didn't do. Great. I took stock of the things that I would be remembered, but I was like, well, I never even tried. And in that same space, I was like, you know what, if I get another shot, I'll never play small mm -hmm. again. I'll always, I'd rather be in the arena. I'd rather be the man in the arena and try and fail than fail to ever try. And I made these micro commitments to myself, those micro vows of I get another shot. I'm never going to let the voices of self-doubt, fear, or the weight of other people's opinions stop me from doing anything. So, you know, um, yes, it was my purpose that really did, you know, catapult me once I got through chemo and mm -hmm. on the other mm -hmm. side of recovery, understanding, you know what? I made a vow to the universe. I would never play small. I would amplify my profile. I'd put myself out there. I'd get in the arena of life. And throughout this next course, this next chapter in my life, I would continue to use my voice to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. So there's a lot intertwined. Right. It's not just learning and recognizing my purpose, but also recognizing I need to leave it all out on the field. I'd rather make an ass out of myself being in the <laughs> sport of life then make an ass out of myself doing nothing and make, you know, and, and squandering this precious gift. Absolutely. This sounds on many, many levels so familiar. One thing I tell my kids is, look, you can do whatever you want to do in life. Just don't be insipid. That's all I ask. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and certainly what you're describing is the very opposite of insipid. So I am inspired and I am so curious to know more. How did you then pick this lifestyle business and reinvent yourself to be not just on the Today Show, but on Inside Edition and, and um, other shows as well? How did you do it? You know, I, well, I sold my wedding ring. <laughs> I hired a media oh, trainer. Wow. <laughs> 
And the rest is kind of history, but let me back it up a little bit. So in 2006, I read the book, The Secret, which is all about manifestation and law of attraction. Mm -hmm. And when you read this stuff, I remember thinking I was a bunch of, you know, malarkey and a bunch of voodoo. But, you know, I read it and I was like, okay, it says write down whatever you want. And I wrote down that if I was to dream my biggest dream and who I would really be if like somebody waved a magic wand, I wanted to be Jill Martin on the Today Show. I wanted to be an on-air television hmm. contributor. I didn't want to be an anchor. I wanted to be somebody who could go on TV, talk about whatever I had or whatever interests me, and then, you know, go home. But I remember writing it down with no intention of taking action because I did not believe that I was worthy of it. And when I got to the other side of cancer and I had this new muscle of no more, that no tolerance for negative self-talk, weight of other people's opinions. I had, I had no tolerance for that anymore. I was like, yeah, I'm done with you little voices. You guys have gotten me only so far. And what got me here isn't going to get me there. And those voices are doing nothing but their weight and their garbage. And I changed my mindset. So a lot of times when I'm asked that question, how did I land on television? And I always say, I sold mm -hmm. my wedding ring and hired a media trainer, but I'm not serving my audience fully when I say that because I'm leaving a component out that's super important. And it's the same thing when somebody goes out and buys a new Peloton, a treadmill, a gym membership, Weight Watchers, or if you don't have the right mindset, you can throw money at books and workshops mm -hmm. and gym memberships, but without the right members, the right mindset, you will quit over and over and over again. And what, what the most important component of starting any new endeavor is your mindset. And understanding that consistency, perseverance, tenacity, all these little disciplines, these micro disciplines, these micro components, having the right mental game in the next chapter of your life is what really matters. It's that consistent, mm -hmm. you know, the, the consistent effort that you put forth. So yes, I hired a media trainer and I did move that needle, but I did also have the right mental game, um, which I teach a lot now. I do accountability challenges and I talk, you know, I, I do courses where I'm like, all right, like let's get out of your own way and start living your best life with the right men, you know, the right mindset and the right um, consistent behaviors for success. So I hope that answers the question. It does a lot. It it answers it, you know, perfectly. And it's what's what's coming to mind here is the three M's. You need some money, you need the mindset in order to manifest. So money, mindset, manifest equals manifestation, perhaps. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if money. You know what? People can throw money at so much, but there's so much free mm -hmm. information out on the internet. I mean, literally you can go to the school of YouTube and learn how to do media training and learn how to pitch yourself to producers. I mean, you don't need money to educate yourself and even capture the right mm -hmm. mindset. You just have to find voices and mentors and experts that have already traveled the path that you want to be in. Like you, when I say that, it's like, if you want directions to get somewhere, don't ask somebody who's been sitting on the couch for 45 years that hasn't moved from New Jersey to San Diego and only knows, knows it in theory. Talk to somebody who's done that, traveled that journey and can help you avoid pitfalls and setbacks and isn't just, you know, doing this armchair psychology. And we do, people do that a lot. I know it's like, it's a funny analogy because you're like, of course I wouldn't ask that person how to get to San Diego from New Jersey 
Jersey because they've never been there. <laughs> Yet you sit there and you ask people around you that have, doesn't, don't have a pot to piss in. And they're like, I'm really thinking about doing this because I can make money. And they're like, yeah, no, that's stupid. And you're talking to somebody who hasn't, you know, doesn't have $15 to their name because they've been your counsel your whole life. So you don't have other people to ask counsel. And I'm telling you, seek new counsel. Seek new, Seek new counsel. counsel. Get get answers from experts and people that have traveled the pathway that you want to go in and really take realize that you're asking the wrong damn people the wrong damn questions. And it is a mistake right. that we all make because we trust our friends. We trust our family. They love us. They want the best for us. And their intentionality is spot on. But their advice, yes. unless they unless you've made a billion dollars, I don't want to hear from you. I don't care if, I, if that's what I wanted. If I, you know, Absolutely. I don't want to hear and the same thing when I went through cancer, I remember being like, oh, you know, my, my sister had cancer. So call me. And I was like, I, I'm going to go ahead and call your sister, <laughs> you know, right. Um, although right. it was nice and everything, but I want, I, I needed as a, as a, I wasn't a sibling to a cancer patient. If I was a sibling no, to a cancer patient, I want to talk to the sibling, but I found it was very, it's a very unique club. Like you're like, okay, thanks for that information. I appreciate it. But actually the person I need to talk to is the person who actually had to roll their sleeves up, do the infusion and really knows intrinsically what it's like to have that disgusting metal taste in your mouth and neuropathy mm -hmm. of the fingers and, you know, chemo brain and, you know, laugh, commiserate and help move the ball. So I'm saying a lot in um, our short period of time here. <laughs> you are such a role model, Barbara, to so many people out there, so many women out there. So I, I want to ask, you know, for women out there who want to emulate the life of a Barbara Majeski and say, if I have a second shot, I also want to be on TV or, you know, whatever the goal is. How do you do that? You said you could look at a YouTube video and learn how to do media training yourself. What is a media trainer? What does this teach you? What should they be looking out to learn in order to achieve a dream that might be similar to yours? So serendipitously enough, which is why I love talking about manifestation and law of attraction and the true value of it is when I started, decided to move the ball, I was like, all right, there, you know, to go from information to, to transformation, you have to take action and taking action. And when you unpack like, okay, I want to be on TV. You start unpacking it. Well, how do you get on TV? Well, I better learn how to be on TV. You know, I hired a media, because I started, I was like, well, I got to hire a teacher. I got to go to school. I got to educate myself. And when I started looking for a media trainer, the funny thing was that I ended up finding a media trainer that had been in, uh, I've been at the Today Show for years and years and years. And she had left the Today Show and was now training people to go on the Today Show. Um, so serendipity and karma has a lot to do in that little space. But a media trainer, a really good media trainer, has been in the television industry or social media industry or whatever, YouTube, because now media training is not just television. It is a multi-platform experience. Uh, you want somebody who's been in the industry. You want somebody who's seasoned and has connections and experience and can tell you stories about mistakes and setbacks and you know all the things. So my media trainer had been in the industry for many years. Uh, she trained me. Most importantly, she taught me how to jump right into it, not over talk, talk, talk in sound bites. And the biggest piece of advice that I share with everyone is that you have two ears, one mouth. 
You have to listen twice as much as you speak. And when you listen to the hosts as they as you're going through the different segments, you know, engage in banter and be yourself has been, the I think, the biggest um, blessing for me because I, I think people like me as me and not as me trying to be Jill Martin. And, you know, they like mm-hmm. Barbara Majeski as Barbara Majeski or they're not going to like Barbara Majeski, which is a mistake because I'm amazing and fun. So, but you know what, listen, you can be the juiciest peach in the world and not everybody's going to like peaches. That's a quote by like somebody, <laughs> Zsa, Zsa Gabor, somebody fabulous. I'll look it up later. But anyway, <laughs> somebody fabulous, just like Barbara Majeski. What is not to Thank like you. about Barbara Majeski? <laughs> to wrap up today's show. And before we do, real quick, Barbara, where can we find out more about you and your work? So I keep it simple on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and my website. It's Barbara Majeski. It's barbaramajeski.com. And it's at Barbara Majeski everywhere that um, <laughs> everywhere that I can. And on Clubhouse, Barbara Majeski. We will come find you indeed. Barbara, thank you so much for being on the True Fiction Project. Well, thank you. This was fun. I appreciate it. That was Barbara Majeski, lifestyle expert. And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. Price of Magic Claire was absentmindedly watching the dust particles swirling playfully in a ray of light coming through the window. The new house was much bigger than their city apartment, yet the added space was only making her feel smaller and lonelier. The countryside, however, had its charm. Claire had never seen so much grass in one place. The house was surrounded by a meadow. The lush sea of green was interrupted only by the edge of the woods on the horizon. Claire didn't care about it much, being accustomed to the dirty streets of the city. However, she didn't care where she lived as long as her mother could recover faster, and according to the doctors, the fresh air of the countryside was just what she needed. Claire sighed and looked away from the window as she heard her brother, Charlie, running up the stairs. Despite being twins, Claire was often playing the role of a big sister. Charlie rushed straight into her room, jumping and landing on her bed. Isn't this place amazing? he asked. He didn't wait for a reply. He was at the window in one bouncy motion. I wonder what kind of animals live in the forest. Let's go check it out. We need to unpack first, Claire replied unenthusiastically. And besides, what if there are bears out there? Bears? There was not an inkling of fear in Charlie's eyes. He only became more enthusiastic. They did not go to the forest that day. Instead, the children spent the rest of the day unpacking, cleaning, and taking care of their mother. When the night finally descended, all Claire could do was crawl into bed and close her eyes. She began to doze off, but she sat up abruptly as she realized that the room was flooded with bright, warm light. A softly glowing figure of a beautiful young woman was sitting on the side of her bed. As her eyes adjusted, Claire realized that although the woman had the proportions of an adult, she was only half as tall as Claire herself. Hello, Claire, greeted the stranger. 
in a friendly, soothing tone. She smiled lovingly, melting Claire's shock away. Hello, uh, who are you? How do you know my name? Claire asked, rubbing her eyes. I know all about you, dear Claire, the woman said, as well as your brother and your poor mother. She looked down with profound sadness, as though Claire's sick mother was a close friend. My name is Siofra. I live in the forest. With a gracious gesture, she pointed at the pitch blackness beyond the window. Claire was sitting on her bed, blinking rapidly, not knowing what to say. Siofra was smiling at her softly and patiently. Pardon me for asking, Claire finally said, but are you a... fairy? Both Claire and Siofra turned to the sound of Charlie's voice. He was standing in the doorway, wearing his pajamas. His wide, unblinking eyes were glued to Siofra. She smiled at him and put her exquisite finger on her lips. Hush. Yes, little one. I am a real fairy. But please, your mother needs rest. Let's not wake her up. In fact, I'm here to help her. Help our mother? How? Claire asked. Come with me to the woods. Queen Radia is eager to meet you. She can use fey magic to help your dear mother recover, Siofra replied. Something in her tone made Claire's doubts dissolve before she could verbalize them. She was further distracted as she noticed a row of lights outside the window. They were shimmering and floating playfully, just like the dust particles from earlier. They formed a path leading into the forest. Shortly, Claire found herself following Siofra down the stairs, into the meadow, and towards the woods. Charlie was following closely behind. The lights turned out to be other fey folk. Softly glowing, beautiful beings, they were greeting the siblings as they walked towards the trees. Some were introducing themselves, trying to talk to them. Some were shyly hiding behind the trees. They dispersed suddenly as one of them, taller than others, with wings and a crown of oak leaves, descended from a tree branch in front of the siblings. Claire, Charlie, she said. My name is Radia. I am the mother and ruler of the Fey Folk in this forest. I've been waiting for you. You don't know just how valuable you are to us and how much we love you. The rest of the Fey Folk formed a circle around Radia, Claire, and Charlie, bowing their heads respectfully. It's an honor to meet you, um, Your Majesty, Claire said, but I'm not sure how we can be of any help to you. We are just human children. However, if you really can help our mom, I will do anything you ask. I can cook and clean and... Radia stopped her with a wave of her hand. Sweet child, she said. We have no need for your labor. All we ask for is that your brother, dear Charlie, would stay in the woods with us as an honored guest. Although you don't know it, humans are born imbued with magic. You have long lost the knowledge of it, but us, Fey Folk, we can tap into it. Rest assured, child, no harm will come to your brother. He will want for nothing. We will care for him and protect him. And the magic within him will be more than enough to cure your mother, as well as keep us alive and happy for decades to come. 
Claire's heart began to beat faster. Her brother was oblivious to the conversation, quietly playing with a group of Fae children. The spell of Radia's soothing voice was shattered as Claire realized what she was asking for. She was not going to trade her brother for Fae magic. She grabbed Charlie's hand and began to run. The forest was illuminated by the Fae folk following them, crying and begging them to come back. Claire, please! You didn't even give us a chance. We mean you no harm. It was Siofra. She caught up to the children and was running nimbly beside them. I'm sorry, Siofra, Claire replied. Perhaps we, humans, have long forgotten how to use magic, but we care for each other and work hard to achieve our goals, and that is how we will help our mother recover. Claire heard no reply. She turned back to see Siofra and Radia, joined by other fairies, as they stopped chasing the children, looking at them with pensive sadness in their eyes. Claire opened her eyes. It was morning. She immediately remembered last night's events, wondering if it was all a dream. However, she was distracted by the familiar smell of pancakes. Wait, she said to herself. But that would mean... She ran down the stairs and saw Charlie already sitting at the kitchen table. Claire, good morning, my dear. Claire's mother greeted her as she entered the kitchen. The doctors were completely right, she said, as she placed three plates of pancakes on the table. I already feel much better. The fresh countryside air really works wonders. Here at the True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to the True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park